does, does it, do any of you like to be complimented? Okay. Yes, I see nods, I see smiles. Chris, I didn't see him. Chris does not like to be complimented. Don't compliment him. Um, no, we all do. We all like to be complimented, right? I especially like to be complimented. But there's a danger in being complimented because um, you get complimented, you receive some praise, you receive some kudos, and then you begin to think things like this. Yeah. Yeah, I am pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I am pretty good. Yeah, I am pretty talented. Yeah, doggone it. That was pretty amazing what I did. Right? There's a danger in that. There's an extreme danger in that. Now, for those of you who are um, kind of working this out in your head and you're thinking, okay, so maybe we shouldn't compliment people because that might give them a big head. S- stop. Don't, don't think that way. Keep complimenting people. Just do it and don't worry about their big head. Okay? You're not responsible for other people's big heads. You're responsible for giving praise where, where praise is due. Giving credit where credit is due. But the other side is for those of us who receive the compliment. The, the other side is for those of us who get the kudos. Uh, maybe you're a person who, who doesn't get the kudos very often. And um, you're hungry for that. And my heart breaks a little bit when I think about the fact that we have people in our church who, who serve day in and day out, uh, week after week, month after month, now year after year, and they don't get recognized very often. And, and then I realize, you know what? Those people are okay with it, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of the ironic thing about it. They're okay with it. They're serving from their heart because God has enabled them to do that. They're not serving for kudos from other people. But somebody like me uh, has a really hard time with that because I, in my heart and in my soul, crave approval from other people. And that is something that God, in His grace, is, is working on my life to, to give me peace about and to give me contentment about. Um, but no matter who we are, we enjoy, we, 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 uh, we appreciate um, being praised, being, being given uh, credit when credit is due. But the danger of that is that it will go to our heads. The danger of it is that it will lead us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. In fact, the danger of it is that we begin to take um, glory away from God where the credit is ultimately and primarily due. We exist as people. We exist as individuals. We exist as a church to glorify God. We don't talk much about it. You don't see we have a few taglines running around. We have, you, can, you can look at our, our trailer and you can see you know, transforming lives, families, and communities with the good news of Jesus. And we're all about that in a practical way. Like, that's what we want to do. We want, to, we want the gospel to transform people's lives. But whenever I'm asked, what is your, what is your church's mission statement? Um, I give a fuller explanation. We exist to glorify God by making disciples, and planting churches that transform lives, families, and communities with the good news of Jesus. But 
we can never, we can never um, skip over the fact that we exist to give God glory. And if we don't come back to that over and over again, we may end up being in a situation like what we see in Acts chapter 12 today. A very um, disturbing scene um, on the surface of it. And even when you kind of dig a little bit deeper, you go, wow, this is something else. It's one of these scenes that when I first began reading the Bible as a little boy, it always fascinated me. I was wondered, how in the world did this happen? This is kind of crazy. Um, this scene plus the book of Judges were always some of my favorite um, passages of the Bible to read. Uh, if you haven't read the book of Judges recently, you need to. Um, but let's look, at, let's look at this before I ramble on too far. We need to look at this passage. Let's read it together. Um, Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 18. We're going to go from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. So... Um, Follow with me, please, as I read aloud. Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 18. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man! Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. All right, let's pray. Father, I do pray that we will, um, uh, God, have, have uh, understanding and insight into what you are teaching us today. God, um, help us to learn from this, this story, um, from what uh, the author wants us to, to, uh, to know and wants us to understand about you and the glory that is due your name, that there is only one king in heaven, and that is you. And we glorify you. Regardless of what happens in our lives, regardless of what happens as a result of our own personal prayers, regardless of what happens as a result of the the work that we do, God, you deserve the glory. Let us give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a a passage that is connected with what we looked at last week. And I won't repeat all that I said last week. Suffice to say that um, what is happening in verse 18 is the aftermath of the great rescue that, that, that Peter experienced. Um, being thrown in jail by Herod, Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I, who is the grandson of Herod the Great. We talked about him a little bit last week. And um, there's Peter in prison, miraculously rescued from prison. And he goes 
Um, he, he disappears um, in verse, at the end of verse 17, Peter does, goes to another place, maybe goes into hiding, goes into ministry elsewhere. And when uh, the morning uh, came, which is where we picked up the story in verse 18, um, the soldiers are looking around going, where is this guy? He was... Um, chained between two soldiers. And those soldiers, I don't know if they uh, took a little snooze in the middle of the night or if they were just, you know, kind of uh, stunned. Uh, they were, uh, I, I'm not sure what happened, but it, at some point in the morning, they looked around and they went, Where's Peter? Um, the, they were still chained. I, I, I imagine that there's the one on the left and the one on the right, and the one on the right's got the chain on his wrist, and, and the other end is empty. Like, there's no, uh, Peter's arm isn't on the other end of this. And the other guy's looking, he's doing the same thing, going, where is this guy? And they're looking at the gates, and the gates are locked, and they're all closed up, and, and there's no Peter. And this, this, this phrase, there's no little disturbance, it, it indicates agitation, indicates something frantic. Like, they're searching around, and they're going, holy something, uh, what are we going to do? Who, how are we going to explain this? Peter's gone. And it says Herod searched for him. I, I, he probably didn't search for him literally, but he probably sent some folks to do some searching. And they didn't find him. So he examined the guys who he had ordered to protect him and then said that they should be put to death. And this is actually an interesting little phrase in the original language. It means, uh, in the, it literally says ordered that they be led away. And so that's kind of a euphemistic term for lead these guys away to their end. And in fact, give them the same punishment that the prisoner was supposed to take. And that was sort of the that was sort of the uh, the, the 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 way things went, the tradition or the rules um, in uh, Rome at that time that if guards uh, were guarding a prisoner, he escaped, uh, that they would receive the same punishment um, as the prisoner. So there they are. And uh, Herod, it says, he went down from Judea to Caesarea and he spent some time there. Um, Herod does two things that are, that are interesting in, this, in these two verses. One is he puts the, the sentries to death. And two is he leaves town. <laughs> but we, 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 we talked a little bit about Herod and his motivation last week. His motivation is to please people. His motivation is that people look at him as a great king. They, he wants everyone to look at him and go, this is Herod the Great again. He's come back to us. Remember, Herod Agrippa I he has been given control over all of Palestine. He's got control over all of the land, all of the responsibilities that Herod the Great had back in the day. Um, he, is, he is school chums with the emperor. He went to school with Claudius the emperor. I mean, they were tight. Yeah. And Claudius had said, hey man, yeah, go ahead. You can have everything your grandfather used to have. So Herod's got it all. There are, there are no Roman prefects butting into his business. There's, there's nobody telling him from Rome saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. He has got absolute and total control. And he wants to maintain that control. And he, he likes the praise that he gets from the Jewish people. Herod 
Remember, he's the guy who's, who's obeying all of the Jewish rules. He's trying to get in with them. He's, a very, he's known as a very pious king. Um, he's known as somebody who keeps the, the, the holy days and, and offers sacrifices. And he does all of the things that a good Jewish person would do. And so, what does he do? Well, I had better apply this Roman law to these soldiers, these sentries, who, who let Peter escape and put them to death so that everyone knows that I take this matter very seriously. But then... I think that uh, part of his, uh, his, his motivation was maybe it'd be a good idea for me to get out of Jerusalem for just a little while and, and head back up to Caesarea, which is kind of the, the Roman capital of this area. And I'll go back to my, my, uh, my castle, my, not my castle, but my, um, my fortress, my home, my, my place. I, I'll go back to my crib and... And get out of town, and maybe the, and let the heat kind of, kind of settle. Herod, Herod is a man who is so concerned with what people think about him, so concerned with being praised, so concerned with receiving glory, and that's what we see in the in the next passage. So, we have a, a verse there in verse twenty. Herod and the people of Tyre inside now. Uh, Tyre and Sidon were these coastal towns. Um, they're, they're Old Testament towns. You'll find them all over the Old Testament. Um, these coastal towns that were always kind of like right on the edge, right on the edge of Israel. And so they were never really, uh, they were never considered um, part of Israel proper. They were never under um, uh, except for in the time of Solomon, Solomon had um, essentially kind of oversaw those 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 towns. But they had this kind of autonomy. They had this agreement between the kings of Israel. And then in the in the time of Herod, they had these agreements with with Herod and the other rulers there in Judea because they depended on um, trade. They lived on the coast. There were a lot of things that they couldn't get, so they depended on trade with. Um, Herod and with uh, Judea. And so they had this uh, disagreement and Herod was angry about them over something and, and uh, the Jewish historian, historian Josephus um, talks about, you can look that up and you can look into the background of this and, and he gets to, the, the people of Tyre and Sidon, excuse me, get to Blastus and they, they convince this guy, maybe they bribed him and said, hey, help us get peace. Um, uh, Herod is about to cancel this agreement, um, and we need we need your country. We depend on this. So, can we get get this squared away? Um, I could imagine that um, that maybe the situation was like um, every other country in our world trying to get in good with our president and. Uh, you know, I could imagine Herod being the kind of guy who's probably tweeting things, saying, um, you know, we're locked and loaded, etc., etc., um, Tyree and Sidon, uh, we'll, just, we'll just cut off trade with you. So there you go, because that's, that's, that's what we can do. Maybe, maybe Herod did that. Maybe he was tweeting Tyree and Sidon, we're like, oh no, okay, we got to get this figured out. So they do. They get it figured out. 
with blastus and they, they they finally get to a point where okay we can get this agreement or uh, maybe we can get this peace um, settled and and meet with him and so verse 21 uh, has it here on an appointed day herod put on his royal robes he took his seat on the throne and he delivered an oration there he is giving a speech and i love how um Luke gives us a short description of this, but the again Josephus talks about these royal robes, and he and he tells us that that his robes um, had silver um, lined into the or, or or sewn into them, so like silver thread throughout his robes, so that when he was standing out in the sun, his his uh, robes were reflecting light. And it looked brilliant and looked amazing. And there he is just reflecting the sun. And some people think that maybe he was, um, maybe he was looking kind of like um, uh, the sun god that the people um, in the ancient Near East worshipped. Uh, but at any rate, in verse 22, they hear this oration. And whether, whether they, they really believe this or whether they were they're just trying to butter him up and say, Herod, you're great. You're going you're gonna to make Tyre and Sidon great again or something like that. I don't know. The voice of a god and not of a man, they said. So, I don't know. What happened? Why, why do you think Herod did what he did? Here, here he is. He's, he's, got his, he's got his robes on. He's on his throne. He's giving an oration. And they're praising him. This is, this is not merely a man. This, this is the voice of a God. Verse 23, immediately says, Now Luke doesn't use this word very often. He doesn't use the word immediately very often. It's, it's a good word. It, it's like suddenly, like it, it, it happened. An angel of the Lord says, struck him down because he did not give God the glory. If you've ever read The Lord of the Rings, not, the, not watch the films, so if you've never read the books, um, you, you may not get this, but... Uh, a marked difference between the books and the films, one of the many, many differences, is the, is the person of Saruman. You know, Saruman the white wizard, right? He's up in Orthanc, ta- uh, ca- uh, the, the tower, right? The tower of Orthanc or Isengard, right? And he wears these white robes and, um, and, and everyone thinks, wow, he's, the, he's in the highest of the wizard order, right? Um, you, you know that from the films. But in the books, um, Gandalf the Grey visits Saruman. And he, and he says, you're, you're Saruman the White. And Saruman corrects him and he says, no, I'm not Saruman the White anymore. Look. And he, and he unfurls his robes. And... Some, whether some kind of a magic trick or something sewn into his robes, suddenly Gandalf sees that his robes are multi, multicolored. Like they're reflecting all of these lights. And Saruman is saying, no, I'm not what you, think, uh, what you thought I was. I'm not just the, the white wizard anymore. I'm something greater than that. I am more powerful than you thought I was. Saruman, the multicolored, something like that. That was kind of the reference that he made. There he is taking Saruman. The, the illustration is there of, of somebody thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think. Considering himself greater. Saying, no, I'm not merely what you thought I was. I am 
amazing. I am awesome. I am godlike. I have powers and abilities that you don't have. You could only dream of having. Here's Herod. Probably in the same state of heart. Not state of mind, but his heart was, I am like a god to these people. Because he did not give glory to God. Because he accepted their praise rather than redirecting it to God himself. Here is a man who, for all of his piety, for all of his Jewishness, for all of his obeying the Old Testament laws and the, the holy days and all of the rest, paying lip service to the God of Israel, stood in that moment and took the credit that God deserved alone. And because he did not give God the glory, it says an angel of the Lord struck him down. Where have we seen the angel of the Lord make an appearance recently? Oh, that's right, last week. Last week, we saw the angel of the Lord coming to Peter, striking him on the... Literally, the exact same words in verse 7. The, an angel of the Lord struck Peter on the side, get up, dress, wrap your cloak around me, follow me. And then in verse 11, Peter says, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. The angel of the Lord makes an appearance to Peter, strikes him, on the side to wake him up. And then in verse 23, the angel of the Lord appears again. And he strikes Herod. But he strikes Herod down. It is not just a friendly jab, not just a wake up from your slumber, Peter. This is the, this is the, uh, this is the, uh, the, the Old Testament version of smiting. <laughs> the angel of the Lord smote Herod down because he did not give God the glory. And it says he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Whew. How would you like that? Sounds fun, huh? That's a good one. Um, I'd love to, love to see a picture. Maybe the kids can draw a picture of that and show it to me after the, the service um, of what that might look like. That'd be kind of fun. But Josephus says, Josephus says that he, was, he fell down in pain and, and five days later succumbed to some kind of a, a strange ailment um, using the same kind of description. And this eaten by worms phrase, now it probably happened a few days later, um, and, and people have been trying to figure out exactly what happened um, for centuries um, for millennia now, trying to figure, okay, what kind of disease did Herod die of? And nobody's been able to come up with a good explanation. Maybe, maybe the, the most likely explanation is that, yeah, indeed, his bowels were full of worms and caused some kind of, uh, we can talk more about it later if you want, but the point being, and, and here's, here's the kind of neat thing about it, is that this phrase, which only ap appears one time in the New Testament, this, this particular word, eaten by worms, it's actually one word in, in Greek, but that phrase, or that word, is used by ancient writers um, in, in the Greco-Roman world to relate deaths of people 
who were worthy of an unpleasant end. Um, so, you know, you think about it, you know, Luke is saying, here's a guy who deserved to die like that. Here's a guy who was so anti-God, so anti-Christ, that he deserved the end that he got. He received a just punishment. He was eaten by worms, says, and he breathed his last. See, God, God has a way of taking care of his people. The people, I, I don't know, I can't really put myself in the place of the church in Jerusalem at this time, who lost James the Apostle, who had Peter in jail, who saw a miraculous um, uh, rescue, um, and then, but then suddenly Peter's gone again um, because he knows his life is in danger, and so he's going to have to move on. And the place is so turned upside down by all that has happened. The persecution is so strong and, and so hot that they're, they're just holding on to all of the good that's happening. Ever feel like that? Because I feel like that. I feel like that right now. I feel like that right now in the River Church. I'm holding on to every blessing that we have. Every good thing that God does. Every testimony that is shared. I'm Hold on to that. God is good. He's doing these good things. Because when all these other stuff, all these other things that are happening um, that are not the way we want them to, and we're wondering, why isn't God doing what we dreamed He would do? We hold on to these, these little things. But see, this story right here reminds us that God is at work. He is actively working for his church, for their good. We, we saw this last week during, during times of advance, times of retreat, times when the, the church is growing and times when the church is shrinking, when times seem to be, to be uh, flourishing and, and, and there are all kinds of success and times when things, it, it just seems to be tragedy after tragedy. That God is still God. And he's still working, and he's trying to show us that. That he's still alive. That he's still at work. And he judges the opponents of the gospel in the person of Herod. We, uh, we know, because the Apostle Paul said that we wrestle not, we struggle not against flesh and blood. Our, 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 our goal as a, as, as a church is not to win battles against governments or battles against uh, businesses or other people. Our goal is to fight spiritual battles with the spiritual weapons that God has given us. But God, in His mercy, takes care of the opponents in His time and in His way. Um, Romans 12.3 says, We ought not to think, or a person ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but, he ought, but to think with sober judgment is the way Paul describes it. And I think that this is, <laughs> this is something for all of us, not just for, for Herod's. It's not just for people like us to say, hey, presidents, governors, senators... Um, anybody who's in charge, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's something for each of us to think about, to point the finger at ourselves. 
Because here we are wondering oftentimes, well, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this difficulty? Why am I struggling with this? Other people aren't. How come other people are getting away with it and I am where I am? You know what the problem with that is? That question is that we think of ourselves more highly than we should. I mean, it's a betrayal. It's a betrayal that our heart is thinking about ourselves and what we deserve. And we're saying to ourselves, we deserve something great. We deserve something awesome. We deserve credit. We deserve praise. We deserve glory. And then as soon as that comes out of our mouths, we ought to stop short and realize we're in the same situation Herod's in. We deserve punishment. There's nothing that we have done in our lives that's deserving of glory. That's deserving of praise from, from a perfect, holy, righteous God. In fact, if we all consider our own sin, we're deserving to be eaten by worms and dying just like Herod did. That's what we deserve. Eternal punishment from God. But yet he hasn't done that. He hasn't given that to us. Instead, he's given us his son, Jesus. Instead, he's given us grace. Let's not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We exist to glorify God. So the next time, the next time somebody praises you, the next time somebody compliments you, maybe a good response would be to say, thank you, praise God. I don't know. You can respond however you want to. It, do, it doesn't matter what comes out of your lips. Really, it, what counts is what's in your heart anyway. But consider how you're acting and what you're saying and, and, and how that's giving God glory or not. I don't, know if you've, I don't know if many of you spend much time on Facebook. I know some of you do. But, man, Facebook is, or any social media... Um, is a breeding ground for narcissism and for self-praise. It is so it, it is so hard to be there and not to be pointing, you know, the thumb, the giving the thumbs up to yourself, you know, um, over and over again. How are we going to give glory to God there? How are we going to give glory to God in our families? in our extended families, in our friendships, in our workplace, when things are going well, when things are not going well, what do people hear from us? Glory to God? The end of the story is, verse 24, and, and, and here, here the author, Luke, is summarizing the whole of this chapter. All that's happened with Peter and his rescue and what happened with Herod. Peter rescued, Peter saved, Peter going on to continue to fulfill God's purposes for him, and Herod dead, eaten by worms in the ground. But, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. That's my prayer. That's what I want. I read the book of Acts, and I see those little phrases like that, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm desperate for that. I'm asking God for that. That the word of God will increase and multiply in the river church, in Moxie, in Yakima, 
in every everywhere, every place that the River Church has any kind of influence. That's what I want to see happen. And that's what's happening here. And, and so, so the readers, Christians who are reading this in around um, 67, 68 AD and beyond, they're reading this and they're reading these stories and they're going, that's what really counts. God is working. Even, all of this, even though all this crazy stuff is happening and there are opponents everywhere we turn, there are people who don't want to see the gospel expand. There are people that don't want to see churches exist. There are people who don't want to see Christians have rights to say what they believe. The word of God is still increasing and multiplying and God is still working. And then we see Barnabas and Saul. And I... I uh, I, I, I want to go in, into this because I, I want to preach chapter 13 too because it's so awesome. But here's, here's, what, here's what's happening. While we, while, we put, while we put this series to rest for a, at least a period of time, um, we're going to end um, our study in Acts today at least for a few months. But here's where it hangs. Barnabas and Saul leaving Jerusalem after delivering uh, uh, gifts from the church in Antioch, go back to chapter 11 for that, and taking with them John, whose other name was Mark, so sometimes he's referred to John Mark, sometimes he's referred to as Mark, the writer of the gospel, um, and they have a young man with them who's going to help them in ministry, and they're returning back to, to a city called Antioch, that is going to be the staging ground for the greatest uh, missionary efforts ever recorded in the church. That's what God is doing. Here, in the midst of all of this stuff, God is working the Word, God is working His servants, placing them where He wants them to be, so that He will be glorified in the gospel spreading. So for us... What, do we, what are we doing here? What do our lives represent? What are, what are we living for? There's some practical things in terms of, of how, um, how we respond to praise, obviously. Um, but more than that, it's not just about kind of just going through our lives, living our lives, and, and making sure that we say the right things at the right times. But it's more of what are we doing purposefully what are we doing intentionally for God to be glorified? This week, um, I saw a whole church rally together to be intentional about the gospel going to children and going to families. Um, and that was a beautiful thing. And this although the summer children's program is one of the biggest events that we do every single year, it's not the only thing. We have oppor- we're going to have opportunities in a few weeks, in a month, um, this fall, in, during the winter, etc. You know, there are going to be tons of opportunities. And uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to give glory to God? Today, tomorrow, the next, as we go, wherever we're scattered. The uh, the story of Acts 
um, is one of witness. We've, we've explored that theme over and over. Witness. You shall be my witnesses. That's what Jesus told us. But it's not for us. It's not for our glory. It's not for our church. We don't witness to build the church. We witness to glorify God. Maybe if we could capture that motivation again, we, could, we would be at peace about everything else that happened. Or doesn't happen. Because we know that God's behind it all anyway. It's all for His glory. All for His purposes. Let's pray. Father, thank You for, um, thank you for this message. Thank You for teaching me. Um, thank You for um, working in my heart. Giving me uh, contentment. For helping me to see that Your great and good hand is at work. And that I only have to, to uh, be still and watch and see you do what only you can do. God, fill me with your, with your joy and with your peace. God, help us, each and every one of us, to glorify you unashamedly. So that your name will be lifted up in the River Church wherever we're gathered and wherever we are scattered. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.